Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Despite efforts to trim the Hamilton police budget, it remains untouched. We're also talking about the carbon tax, encampments, medical assistance in dying, and Valentine's Day. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Some people got the cold shoulder after tuning in and taking in the Hamilton Police Services Board meeting yesterday. A couple of tense moments, but all in all, no changes to the police budget after uh, board members rejected a series of cost-cutting proposals that were presented, soundly rejecting uh, ideas presented by Councillor Cameron Kretsch. No one else here bothered to put a single cent on the table, did no work whatsoever to suggest any savings in this budget. Um, Sad, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, he was uh, frustrated. Pat Mandy is the chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Pat, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. In this time of belt tightening, why are there no changes to the police budget? The budget was developed over the last year. We have almost at every meeting a presentation about one aspect, one section department of the service. And at that time, there's a lot of detail about what services provided, what what um, criteria are being met or not met, where are there gaps, are there gaps in information. So we have that at every meeting. We also, at every quarter, we have an update, an opportunity to ask and have input. There also was at, in the in the uh, fall leading up to the um, to the just uh, the decision and, and yeah. approval uh, preparation of the uh, the uh, budget. There were a lot of presentations and discussions at the board. There were also uh, two uh, budget committee uh, meetings, and there was a discussion also at the meeting uh, in preparation. In addition to that. We had uh, an update on um, by the chief um, after the uh, the uh, uh, motion was turned back to or the request was turned back to our board. So the we had an update on that. Then we did have fifty questions that were requested by members that uh, staff spent actually considerable. 40 to 50 hours and responding so that there would be information. So the the board members, most of them, um, obviously felt that they had enough information that um, we know that there are still there are still gaps and that there are times that, uh, uh, you know, we're having difficulty uh, staffing or meeting the uh, the criteria, particularly in the lower priority items. Um, and so the members felt that uh, the information uh, hadn't changed and in fact uh, that there were still it was a tight budget there was uh, and we know that there was reductions that were made along the way mm-hmm. well, let me the let me ask you this Pat let me ask you this the the, yeah, the disbanding of the Hamilton these are some of the ideas that were presented yeah. disbanding the mounted unit uh, deferring new hires holding off on repairs to the parking lot were they all deemed critical? They must proceed this year. Yes, they are. There, all of those items can be still discussed over over the next year to look at for next year. But I was actually going to use the uh, example of the deferred hirings, and in fact, in the uh, the last budget meeting, the uh, service the chief brought forward that there would be a six month delay in in new hires, uh, which cut. Um, 
uh, considerable, like I don't have the number right off the top right now, considerable amount of money um, from the budget by delaying that. Uh, one of the issues we have to wait for um, is uh, spots at the uh, police college and we couldn't get them till um, September. And so uh, there was uh, that delay. Um, the uh, funding for those positions won't start until September. So there were there were active changes that were made along the way as a discussion and when the um, board presented um, and, and, and approved the budget to go forward, they felt, and we still do feel like it's a firm, tight budget. And in fact, personally, I think it could be enhanced, but it is, it is uh, how we can manage now. The service can manage now. There was also a, a a big debate on the police budget in Toronto. We only have a, a minute to discuss this. Do you feel that police budgets are under attack? Well, we know that for some time there has been the defund the police moment uh, movement. I think one of the issues is that the public don't understand the uh, the full implication of police service and what's behind each call. And so uh, I think a lot of it leads to uh, not knowing what resources are required or the use of the resources that are required. So the police unit people see, for example, as a ceremonial, um, it's used in search and rescue. It's one of the, I've heard from uh, external that one of the most useful uh, tools in um, in um, proud uh, pride, proud, sorry, I'm dry this morning, um, in the um, the public order unit. So when there are large crowds or so on, that the, that uh, uh, they are uh, very useful there. So there are, there are implications to a lot of the suggestions that um, we, uh, I think, probably should be considering as we go over the next year, but we need to, to consider it in the totality so I that we see the full impact on not just that particular service, but change there, what impact would be on other services. Right. There's certainly a ripple effect for sure. Once a decision is made, it, it will impact uh, the entire operation. Pat, so appreciative of your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pat Mandy is the chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Ontario government says it's going to introduce legislation to put any future provincial carbon pricing program to a referendum. People know where I stand on the carbon tax. I've opposed it from the very beginning. My record couldn't be more different than Bonnie Crombie's. She supported the carbon tax right from the start. Premier Doug Ford saying the new legislation would give voters a direct say over any new provincial carbon tax, cap-and-trade system, or other carbon pricing program. Here to chime in with his thoughts is Mike Schreiner, the leader of the Green Party of Ontario. Mike, welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Hey, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be on. So from what I understand, this referendum legislation would refer to only a provincial carbon pricing system, not the federal carbon tax, right? Yeah, this is performative politics, really, for Doug Ford to distract from his failures to address the housing and health care crisis. I mean, first of all, the premier knows the federal carbon pricing plan is federal jurisdiction, not provincial. And even if it was provincial, the premier can't tie the hands of a future government. I mean, this is really to distract from the fact that the 
Premier has spent the last two years not addressing the housing crisis, instead attacking the Greenbelt so a handful of Ford Connected insiders can cash in $8.3 billion, and his failure to address the health human resource crisis that's happening in our healthcare system, which, by the way, uh, the courts just once again reaffirmed that his bill, wage restraint bill that directly affects nurses is unconstitutional. Now he throws something performative out there to distract from his other challenges. It's called the, or at least it's going to be called the Get It Done Act. And I am just picturing you and others uh, in opposition, for sure, who are getting a, a chuckle out of that. Yeah, you know what? If the premier wants to get it done, why doesn't he pass my bill, which will be coming up for debate on February 28th, to legalize housing, to legalize fourplexes and four-story buildings as of right in existing neighborhoods, six to 11-story uh, apartments or condos along major transit corridors so we can actually build homes that people can afford in the communities they know and love instead of be distracted by performity politics. You referred to Bill 124, and we had the president of the OSSTF on yesterday, clearly ecstatic that, you know, the, the, uh, the premier in the province is not going to be appealing to the Supreme Court. Did this set us back? Oh, it set us back big time. First of all, this always costs taxpayers more. The previous liberal government did this with education workers. It was declared unconstitutional and ended up costing government more. The exact same thing is going to happen with Bill 124. But here's the other way it's hurt us. This is directly contributing to the healthcare crisis we're facing. The reason so many nurses and frontline healthcare workers have left the profession is they have a government that disrespects them. That have said, you know what, at a time when inflation is at eight, nine, 10%, we're going to limit your wage increase to 1%. At a time when you're working extra hours uh, and in very challenging situation, we're essentially going to force a pay cut on you. That's why so many nurses have resigned early, left the profession. It's one of the reasons we have so many emergency departments having temporary and in some cases permanent closures in such long wait times in our healthcare system. So it's directly and negatively affected the people of Ontario's ability to access quality health care and other important public services. Mike Schreiner is our guest. Mike is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario as we discuss all things provincial politics on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We also learned that license plate renewals are going to be automatic now. Is, is this another distraction attempt by the Premier to say, hey, there's nothing to see over here when, in terms of housing and the Greenbelt scandal and everything else? Look at uh, this shiny new toy. This is just another example of the Premier having to fix a mess that the Premier created. You know, we've seen that with the Greenbelt. We've seen that with his unconstitutional legislation. Uh, and now we're seeing it with this whole license sticker gimmick. You know what? When when this was proposed initially, I was the only MPP at Queen's Park to vote against it. And Rick, you know why I voted against it? It costs the Treasury $2.4 billion, and it's costing about $1.5 billion each and every year. That is money that could be going into healthcare to fix the healthcare crisis. That is money that could be going into building affordable housing to address the housing and homeless crisis. That's money that could go into 
you know, getting the 60,000 children who are on a wait list to access autism services. You know, the premier has directly negatively affected the people of Ontario through this whole license sticker gimmick. And now we learn there's a million people out there driving around not knowing that their uh, license sticker is expired and could face significant fines for doing that. So this is just the premier once again having to clean up a mess created by the Premier. A big anti-Semitic protest outside Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto the other day, and a lot of people are uh, denouncing what has happened, especially at a hospital. What is the provincial government's role in this entire uh, uh, protest story, if you will? Yeah, you know, Rick, I've opposed uh, protests at healthcare facilities, hospitals, you know, whether it was during, you know, the COVID emergency or, or now. It's just inappropriate to protest at a hospital and deny people their access to um, health care. There are other places to protest. Protest at Queen's Park, protest at City Hall, protest in front of um, you know government buildings. People have a right to protest. I support people's right to protest. But folks, don't do it in front of a health care facility. And quite frankly, there's legislation that's been passed and we need to make sure that we enforce that legislation. Do not protest in front of a healthcare facility. Last one for you. We know that budget deliberations in this province are ongoing. We know municipalities are having their budget deliberations, just like here in Hamilton. From a from a provincial downloading perspective, and I asked uh, uh, Liberal leader Bonnie Crombie about this a couple of weeks ago, where's your stance? Can we claw some things back in the province, pay for more things like it used to? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a huge mistake uh, for, you know, Two conservative governments or one conservative government ago, the, the Harris government to download so much on the municipalities. The liberals didn't fully reverse that. Now we're seeing the Ford government, especially downloading um, uh, the intersecting crisis of poverty, homelessness, mental health and addictions on the municipalities. Property taxes were never designed to pay for those kinds of social services. And now we're seeing municipalities across the province having huge um, property tax increases. I call those the Doug Ford property tax increase. You know what? The province has the fiscal tools that are appropriate to spend on things like uh, poverty, homelessness, mental health, and addictions. We shouldn't be downloading that onto property taxpayers. And I especially feel for those folks who are on fixed incomes, uh, seniors especially, who are being priced out of, out of their homes because the provincial government is failing to pay for the things that they should be paying for. And that's having a directly negative effect on the, on the lives of people who are especially experiencing homelessness, but also for the businesses that are affected in a lot of our downtown cores as well. You're bang on with that. Mr. Schreiner, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the day. Hey, any anytime, Rick. Happy to be on. Mike Schreiner is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario. As, as you just heard, no shortage of topics to discuss. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk about encampments. Because there is a report out from the federal housing advocate, Marie-José Houle, who says encampments are proving how broken our system is and dismantling them, like has happened in places like, well, here in Hamilton, uh, Edmonton, Halifax, dismantling these camps violates human rights. So Ms. Uhl's reports is the expansion of homeless encampments is a national crisis and requires immediate action from all levels of government. I think we can all agree on that. 
And she goes on to say that Canada has the capacity to solve this crisis. What is lacking is a sufficient political will, resources, and coordination. Sarah Mayo is a social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sarah, good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. What is this important issue? Yeah, absolutely. How would you describe the current encampment situation in Hamilton? Are we seeing more encampments, fewer? What does it look like? It's hard to know exactly because uh, the city does uh, do counts, but there's always changes and people may have two tents to make sure that one is dry and um, and and you know in the, in the rain they can move tents when one gets wet. So it's not um, it's not just the number of tents to count. It really is the number of people. Hmm. And, and then sometimes some tents have more than one person, of course. So um, I think you know the exact number is is not uh, as as important as making sure that everyone has access to services they need um, and and access to um, housing as soon as possible. Because obviously, you know, we've been very lucky to have a mild winter, um, but there could be a cold snap and um, we, you know, it's obviously a dangerous situation. And and even in the summer, it's not a, it's absolutely right that it is a a symptom of our completely broken housing market and and we have to fix, fix it urgently. Do we have a, an accurate number of how many people are living rough? I, it's, it was around uh, 200, uh, as I said, the city uh, does their count, and it's in that range. Okay. Um, the We, we have a um, an encampment protocol in the city. It was approved last year. Are we still seeing encampments dismantled in Hamilton, or, or is that stopped? Um, there's There's been... There, there, there's always fewer in number, because at the beginning, the, the, the city had new rules, and so there was certain locations that were no longer allowed, and so and the number, they couldn't have more than five tenths and, and other rules like that. Um, there needed to be more spacing between groups. So there's been less, but there's still, there's always some um, activity of enforcement, but the city's protocol has, the, the change last summer was to really change from an enforcement-based approach to more of a service and engagement approach where the, the needs of the people are um, are a larger part of the, um, process and not just the rules about about um, that you know the rules the, the the rules of not not living in a uh, in a tent in a in a city were made years ago before this you know before we had this crisis um, and really if if we don't have adequate housing adequate shelter in the city um, how is it at all um, fair or make any sense to to move people along when they're in desperate situations, and we need to help in other ways than just enforcement. Sarah Mayo is a social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. We're talking about encampments in this community, and it falls uh, under the heading of uh, what the federal housing advocate is calling for. Number one, saying dismantling these camps violates human rights, but Marie-José Uhl also saying we have the capacity to solve this. Sarah, are we just dropping the ball here? I think so. I think the the federal and 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 uh, provincial governments have really, you know, it's not. It, it's been for a long time. This this um, this crisis has has grown. It's not. It's not an overnight thing. It's it, it, the pandemic had some uh, effects, certainly on 
on housing prices, but it's not just uh, related to the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, rents were um, increasing way above inflation in Hamilton. And in the meantime, the, there's been very little, very very little attention paid to, to renters who are the the, the fastest growing um, part of the housing market. And so the provincial government, for instance, hasn't done anything to improve, um, to give tenants more rights um, to appeal. For instance, right now they have no right to appeal a, uh, as a new tenant a very high rent increase from the previous tenancy. You, um, there's no, as there is in Quebec, there's a right to appeal if, if you feel like the, the rent increase is too high. And you get, you're allowed to know what the previous rent is. In, in Ontario, we have no rights to to know what what rents were being charged previously. So there's there's basic things that um, the provincial government could do that would really help people give hope and and actual would help reduce um, rent increases because that's the number one way that that rents get increased is when there's to- turnover in a unit right. and that's what landlords want. And so there's an in- a perverse incentive for um, landlords to increase to 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 remove tenants instead of um the incentive in a normal housing market landlords want to keep their tenants because they're paying rent and they're um being um good tenants Mm -hmm. but even when you're paying rent and a good tenant in this housing market landlords still want to um have an incentive to to try to remove you either legally or illegally it is uh, definitely a huge factor in this crisis sarah thank you so much for your insight this morning and for joining the show have a great day thank you sarah mayo is a social planner social planning research council of hamilton i should make mention as well marie jose Ull's report uh, marie is the uh, federal housing advocate uh, calling on the fe- and this this should make sense i mean so many politicians are saying we have a crisis we got to do something well, this report calls on the federal government to establish a national encampments response plan by August 31st, which leads me to ask, where is this national summit? Where is this conversation being had? Why not bring together officials from the federal government, the provincial government, bring in some municipal leaders as well and talk about how we are going to fix this? And there's a lot of chatter. There's not many solutions that are uh, being enacted and working at this point. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk about MAID. We, we, we have rarely discussed this on the show, but I, I think it's high time to do so. And, and there's a valid reason for doing so. MAID, medical assistance in dying in this country. Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada and the University of Ottawa getting together on a study that will collect experiences on belief-based denial of medical assistance in dying. Right now, they are in the recruitment phase. And to get more information, let's bring in our next guest. Christine DeVuono is a team member with the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. Joins us now. Christine, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. Thank you. Why study this? Uh, okay, so uh, MAID has been uh, a legal option for people since 2016. And uh, in order to access MAID, um, an individual must have a serious illness, a disease, or a disability, um, which causes irreversible decline and unbearable suffering that cannot be relieved under conditions that the patient considers acceptable. All right, so that's it's a legal option for people to um, uh, to um, ask for. Uh, but what's happening? What we're finding is that there are groups, both 
people and institutions that are denying uh, made access due to belief-based care, uh, belief-based um, reasoning. Um, and uh, what that's ha what's happening because of that are people are uh, give are not having the options given to them in a timely manner, or they don't, uh, or they have to create um, other sort of workarounds in order to get the um, in order to get made uh, access available for them and their loved ones. So you're asking for people who have been in this situation, who have had their request denied based on the personal or maybe even religious beliefs of the healthcare professional to contact you or the University of Ottawa to say, hey, I'd like to participate in this study. Yes, absolutely. So if you are listening and you've had a loved one um, been denied medical assistance in dying, or if you were mistreated by a healthcare worker because they object to MAID, then we'd love to hear from you. Um, we're looking for experiences that have happened but since 2016. And if you're accepted for the in-depth interview, which is about 90 minutes, um, you'd receive a $40 gift card as our thanks. And um, uh, we would, and part of the reason to hear about this is because this hasn't been, there's been little research in Canada on the patient experience of being refused made and the consequences of that refusal. So um, our project will try to answer the questions of what do we know about the impact of belief-based denial of medical assistance in dying in Canada. Um, so if this is something that has affected you or a loved one, you can find the info out on our website. So if you Google the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada and look at our press release on the homepage, um, you'll see um, uh, you'll see a link that says, "Do you or some uh, do you know someone who was denied medical assistance in dying?" So you can click on that. Um, you can also call the University of Ottawa directly at six one three five six two five eight zero zero extension two three one six. And when we finish our our um, study. The results of our study will provide insights on how to shape public policy as well as inform our education and advocacy initiatives. Uh, we plan to publish our results in peer-reviewed journals and to share our findings at conferences and with public policymakers um, and made advocates. So the information that we get from people who have had these experiences will then allow other people who are making the policies to understand the impacts and the suffering that's caused by the um, denial of care. Christine, in regards to the timeline, when do you hope to start interviewing people and when? what is the plan in terms of uh, displaying the information in these peer review journals? So it really depends on how we would like to start. Um, we're recruiting now. So anyone who has information can link with us now and um, we'll start doing interviews once we have enough interviews. And um, this is part of there's, uh, um So there's this this portion of it. Uh, we're also talking to um, made practitioners uh, and we're uh, looking at a, a literature review. So once we have all that information and can can go through it and create, um, you know, findings for um, for publication, then that'll happen. So we're looking at about a year, um, but this is something that uh, the sooner we get our information, the sooner that we can uh, look through it mm -hmm. and, um, and then 
uh, publish it. We only got a couple minutes. Uh, is mm-hmm. is this is the belief based denial? Is it mm-hmm. is it happening a lot? Uh, well, this is one of the things that we would like to find out. A lot of the uh, belief based denial happens through various um, institutions or through individuals that harbor. Um, religious uh, or moral reasonings for not allowing people to have care. And what this does is that it affects the suffering of people who are already at end of life. Like, for example, um, a woman in Vancouver last year, 34-year-old Sam O'Neill with terminal cancer, was denied made by St. Paul's Hospital, which is Catholic. She wanted to die with her family and friends and be able to say goodbye to them. But since she was in excruciating pain, she had to be sedated before being transferred by ambulance, and she never regained consciousness before her maid death. So she was robbed of her final hours with her family and friends. And a family member said at the time that the whole point of maid is to die with dignity, but there was no dignity in getting transferred to another place just for a matter of policy. Yeah, that is pretty sad. Christine, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Good luck with this. I will be uh, very much... Um, up for another interview once uh, the uh, the statistics and the details of the study are complete. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you, Christine. Christine DeVuono is a team member with Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. Again, if you think you can participate or have a loved one or friend who um, would uh, has gone through this, maybe in the healthcare industry themselves, you can go online to arcc-cdac.ca. I'll read that again. Arcc dash cdac dot ca that's the website for the abortion rights coalition of canada it's, it's an intriguing and interesting topic you know belief-based denial healthcare professionals having either personal moral religious beliefs that are against made uh, we'll continue to follow up on this because it is as i said very interesting you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml happy valentine's day now whether you are deeply and madly in love with your partner and plan to celebrate in style or you're searching for that special someone can this day be a springboard to strengthen your relationship or perhaps finding your soulmate Jess O'Reilly is a sexologist and relationship expert. Sex with Dr. Jess.com is the website you want to go to today. Dr. Jess, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. Happy V-Day. Does celebrating on Valentine's Day, does that strengthen a relationship or is that overblown? Well, I think celebrating any time has the potential to strengthen a relationship. However, I do worry that when we save those celebrations for one time a year, whether it be Valentine's Day or an anniversary, we have the, I think we risk reducing romance and effort and formal investment into the relationship to those singular days. Post-pandemic, um, we're obviously in a very different you know, world right now. Does, does Valentine's Day hold the same value for couples and singles looking for love? Well, what I actually see is that it holds greater value for relationships overall. So I'm seeing friends who are spending their Valentine's Day with with platonic platonic friends, right? With people that you aren't necessarily in a romantic relationship with. So if you think back to, you know, junior school and kindergarten, you'd give out Valentine's to everyone. And I'm seeing more of that. Folks are reconnecting with their parents, reconnecting with neighbors, spending time with folks that, you know, aren't necessarily the person that they are in a romantic or long-term relationship with. And did the pandemic have to do with that? Because there was a time where we couldn't visit people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing a spike in 
the desire for social connections. But at the same time, we're also seeing some really dangerous numbers around loneliness. So, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think we're trying to figure out how we navigate connection and community because we were forced to not just stay apart from people in our houses, but even physically distant from people. We, we don't know if we're supposed to hug. We don't know if we're supposed to shake hands. And of course, we still have rates of viruses going around that put many people at risk. Absolutely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Jess O'Reilly, sexologist and relationship expert. Check out our website, sexwithdrjess.com. Speaking of that new and different world, artificial intelligence seems to be uh, in places where we, we least expect it sometimes. Certainly social media is a big driver in many people's lives. The the look at me generation. Are, are lovebirds expressing their affection in different ways these days? And is that healthy? Oh, that's interesting. We always talk about the languages of love, physical affection, receiving gifts, words of affirmation. But we're also now talking about expressions of public declaration, right? So if you don't say you're in a relationship online, are you really on a relationship? We also know that people are connecting online. More and more people are meeting not only over dating apps, but also on social media, right? So we have people who are reconnecting with folks that they went to high school with 20 years ago. So it's intergenerational and absolutely it's shifting the way we date, even with AI integrations in online dating apps. I was checking out a recent poll that showed uh, 38% of Canadians say money is a major cause of stress in the relationship. And really, you know, finances has always been a pressure point. But in our current economic climate, is it even more so than ever before? Absolutely. People are stretched thin. And so there's both the, the financial toll and the psychological toll that's attached to money. And so I always want couples to start talking about money from the onset and not just talk about how you want to spend value, uh, spend your money. I think people are very good at saying, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. We're certainly very good at criticizing how other people <laughs> approach fi- you know, our finances. But I would like to hear people really talking about their why, their values. What were the values they were raised with? How that How does that shape how they behave today? Because oftentimes, our issues around money aren't really about what we spend or what we save or what we do or don't have, but it's about the ties back to our families and what money meant to us. And we carry that into our adult relationships. also read an interesting stat too, and I, n- I never knew this before, and I'm not sure how close uh, of, of uh, uh, an accurate reflection this number is, but 37% of relationship breakups happen in the week leading up to Valentine's Day. Your thoughts on that? Uh, so I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate. I know that sometimes there's polls and surveys as opposed to actual studies. Yeah. But I will say that when there is a big celebration coming up that involves some sort of public declaration or some sort of investment of time and money, people will oftentimes take stock of their relationships. And I don't think that there's a better time than now to really take stock of your relationships and decide where you want to be intentional. Because if we're lucky, we'll get 10, 20, 30, 50 more years on this earth and your relationships relationships are the number one determinant of the quality of your life, right? You've seen the studies that if we look at health outcomes and other indicators of quality of life at age 50, and then we look at health and happiness at age 80, the factor at age 50 that matters most, more than genetics, more than cholesterol, is the quality of relationships. So now's the time to, I think, take stock and say, you know what, if this is my most valuable asset, how am I going to invest in it? Great point. Back to the economic realities of today, for couples mm-hmm. who are celebrating or, or want to celebrate today and they want to do so without breaking the bank, do you have any simple tips to help them out? 
Yeah, I mean, we're seeing trends this year where folks are decided, deciding to focus on memories as opposed to materialism. So doing something together, getting outside, blocking time for the future. Obviously, you don't have to go out and spend a ton of money. Tonight's a, oftentimes a hard night to even get a reservation. Uh, I always want to tell people to celebrate early, like surprise your partner on the 12th. I might be a little bit late for that. <laughs> but even just thinking about words of affirmation, like buying a book that they love and writing an inscription, uh, taking a moment to write the, a love letter. Here's a really quick tip that I love, love, love. Uh, write their dating profile as though you were marketing them to the world because I find people find that easier to write in point form as opposed to a love letter. So if I were to market my partner to the world on social, on a, on a dating app, what would I write about him in terms of, you know, how he is in the community with family, his values, what do I admire about him most? And I think that's a really beautiful gift to, to give your partner. Very cool. You, you mentioned celebrating early. Is it okay to celebrate late if maybe we forget? 100%. Please, let's not relegate romance and love and caring about people to one day a year. Instead, let's dollar cost average over the course of 365 days. I would rather see you do a 60 second favor every single day for your partner to make them feel important. And it could be really easy if it's a cold day, take their socks in the morning and throw them on the heating vent on the ground so they get to put on warm socks. If you hear them on a stressful call, give them a hand massage or a shoulder massage while they're talking. One minute a day is going to produce greater yields across the course of the year and your lifetime than grand gestures once a year. However, please don't use that as an excuse not to celebrate. If <laughs> Valentine's matters to your partner, you have to have that conversation, right? Again, not just it's important to me, but why? What what am I attaching to it? What are my expectations? What is the validation or care or appreciation that I'm looking for? And if I want it today, is it because I'm not getting it the other 364 days a year? Phenomenal analysis and insight, as always, from Dr. Jess O'Reilly. Online sex with drjess.com. Dr. Jess, thank you so much and happy Valentine's Day. A pleasure. Same to you. Thanks again to Dr. Jess. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.